Friends, we're going to listen to God speak to us now in his word. I'm going to invite Jazz, one of those very happy youth leaders, to read from Matthew for us. It is in your outline, printed out there for you, or in your scriptures or phone. All right, we just talked to God. Let us hear from him now. Um, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Good morning, church. Trent has again invited me, why me, to speak about stewardship. Presumably he thinks an economist might know something about money. But let me actually clarify that accountants count financial transactions. They count assets and liabilities. Uh, economists actually focus on how best to use scarce resources to uh, meet unlimited wants. So you can immediately see that economists will be among the very first to be out of work in heaven because there's no scarcity in heaven. And I, as an economist, I don't give financial advice. But as you will actually see this morning, Jesus does. So we'll actually focus. That's much of what we'll be focusing on. Um, as I implied, this is not the first time Trent's invited me to speak on stewardship. And last time when I did speak on it, I uh, spoke on Matthew and what he had to say about money and stewardship. Because Matthew, as a gospel writer, writes more about stewardship and money than the rest of the, the other three all put together. And uh, maybe that's not surprising because he was a lover of money. And he was focused on money. He was a tax collector. So Matthew was transformed from a lover of money to a lover of Christ. And that's why I find his his treatment and his record of what Jesus said about money particularly insightful and interesting. But actually, I'm sorry if I'm going to disappoint you. That's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. If you want to hear that message, I gave it two years ago, and I can print it and give it to you. This morning, we've, we're going to focus on the text that Jazz just read out for us, which is just those three verses. But let me actually turn to God in prayer first. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we thank you that your word is living, is relevant, is helpful, instructive. We do pray that you accept our thoughts, that you would guide our thoughts and, our, and my words, that you would be honoured. Amen. There is, in your bulletin, a handout with the text on the back of it and several other texts. Uh, about this, but this morning I'll just be focusing on those three short verses. But first, let's clarify a couple of terms. Stewardship is the job of taking care of something. Christian stewardship is taking care of and using everything that we've been granted to take care of, with a particular focus on the glory of God and the care of others. Stewardship is much broader than money. 
In fact, stewardship involves everything we have to take care of. It involves our time, our energy. Some of us have got more than others. Our worldly possessions, our finances, our assets, our spiritual gifts. All of that is all related in the umbrella of stewardship. Today, as I mentioned, we'll just focus on these this one set of three verses. Its context is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I will repeat the words at some time, at some point, but Jazz just wrote them out, read them out for us, so they're on the back of your text if you want to. Firstly, I'll ask the question, who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking on the side of a hill outside Capernaum to his disciples and to a large crowd, a mixed crowd, mostly Jewish people, but probably not exclusively Jewish, but being mostly Jewish that have been steeped in Old Testament teaching and the law and the speaking of the writing of the prophets. And they listen to Jesus. This is actually quite late in the Sermon on the Mount, these three verses, where Jesus speaks of not storing up treasure on earth, but storing up treasure in heaven. We might think a strange comment, but he doesn't actually say that we're not to store up treasure. He actually recommends we do, just not in this world. He recommends that we store up treasure. But as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you find Jesus speaking of a kingdom which is very different than this world. He speaks of a kingdom where position, power, authority and positions are not the focus. He speaks of a kingdom where the heart is the focus and the heart drives all behaviour and all activity. And it heart drives the focus of our life, our lifestyle and our core priorities. And in this text, Jesus is concerned about the heart because he concludes in saying that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You also could turn that around, if you like, and say where your heart is, that's probably where your treasure is going to be. But it's where the focus of your life will be. Anyway, real faith inevitably gives rise to action and inevitably guides our behaviour. If you like, from this little text, we could conclude that the heart is the heart of the matter, for indeed it is. And we'll come back to that sort of phrase. If you view our wealth as being important in this world, that's probably where your heart is. Because the way we use our wealth and our money is a reflection of our life's priority of where our heart is. Jesus' words in this simple little passage are quite clear. He simply says, don't store up for yourselves wealth on earth where moth and rust corrupts, 
and where thieves can break in, thieves can break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust don't can't corrupt it, and where thieves won't break in and steal it. But then you ask, obviously, well, what does treasure in heaven look like? And frankly, I don't know. And I can't find anywhere where the Bible tells us what it looks like. That doesn't matter, actually. Jesus tells us that it's worth having, and we should invest in it. That's enough. I am intrigued and puzzled by this, though, because corollary of the fact that there is no scarcity in heaven, there is no poverty, there is no actually acute need, and without poverty, what is wealth? They're both relative terms. So it's a bit of a puzzle, but it's not something that should distract us needlessly. Simply that Jesus does tell us his financial advice is to invest in heaven. Heavenly wealth, heavenly treasure, not worldly wealth, worldly treasure. So, how do we do this? That's the obvious next question. How can we store up treasure? You may well have heard of the man who really wanted to take this world's treasure with him when he died. And he even got his wife um, to agree that but when he died, assuming he died first, she would put half of their wealth in money in his coffin so he could take it with him. So somebody, after the funeral, he did die, had the funeral, and someone asked him, asked his wife, said, who knew about this arrangement, she said, did you keep your end of the bargain? Her reply was, sure I did. I wrote a check and put it in the coffin. <laughs> if he can cash it, good luck to him. We can't take this worldly wealth with us. But Jesus basically is saying we can pay it forward. How can we do that? Interesting question, and that's the one I wanted to focus on most in the brief time we have this morning. What does it mean to store up treasure in heaven, and how do we do it? Um, Matthew has a few other comments about storing up treasure. And there are a few other references in scripture. One of them is actually in Matthew chapter 19, where you'll find Jesus speaking to a rich young man. And the rich young man is, is quite devout. He's actually concerned about how he can have eternal life. Fair question. And uh, Jesus tells him that uh, he can keep all the commandments and he'll have eternal life. And uh, the young man, you would think that he might walk away happily at that point because he says, I've done that. But then he goes on to really, he implicitly realises that's not enough. And he says, what more do I need to do? And some of you will know what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Interesting, he doesn't say give the money to the 
um, church or the tabernacle or any other to the priest or whatever. He says, give it to the poor and come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. The issue wasn't that the young man was rich. It wasn't his problem per se. The problem was that he treasured his riches more than he treasured what he could have had in Christ. By selling his possessions and giving the money to the poor, this man could have accumulated treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus says. And I'm going to take it literally. This is probably far from what the people who sat on that hillside outside Capernaum understood Jesus to be saying when he said, store up treasure in heaven. I don't think they would have been saying, well, we've got to go and sell all we've got and give it all to the poor. But this is part of any answer to the question of how. It's inevitably part of any question of how where to actually store up treasure. Because if you search scripture, that's what Jesus is saying as part of his financial advice. And it's perfectly consistent with Jesus' teaching that the kingdom of heaven is very different than the kingdom of earth or this world. It's sort of an upside-down kingdom, if you like. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in these verses, you actually get to keep what you give away and you get to lose what you try and keep. That's radical. But Jesus does have a habit of saying things that are really a little bit shocking and they're very different from this world. Um, he says the first will be last, the last will be first. He says... Many things like that. So I think it's reasonable to think of Jesus saying that sort of thing here. A third passage, if you want to, you can look into um, chapter 25 of Matthew, where he's actually talking about him coming back as ruler and king, and he's separating people from people, the uh, righteous from the unrighteous. And the words he says was come to the righteous, come inherit the kingdom which was for you before the start of time. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous asked him, Lord, when, would, when did we do all these things? The text actually spells it all out again for emphasis. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What we do matters. Our care for the needy and poor matters. I'm not going to dwell on how uh, we are to support the church financially with our giving and our time and our other talents and abilities, I'm going to assume that as part of this fellowship we do that. It is important. We are instructed to do it. Jesus loves, God loves the cheerful giver. We need to support the church, but we also need 
to address the needs of the poor. If you were to ask the question then specifically, how do we store up treasure in heaven? I think the first part of the answer is pretty obvious. We can store up treasure in heaven by giving to the needy from our finances and our other assets. I don't quite know what that treasure looks like, but it doesn't matter. Lest you think that Matthew is the only one who records this, let's flip over to Luke chapter 12. And Luke, Luke records Jesus as saying, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. And then two chapters further over, he is talking about when we host a dinner or a lunch, who we are to invite. And uh, it says that we are to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, rather than our friends and our relatives. I'm sorry, but I don't do much of that. But that's what we're encouraged to do. And he goes on to say, they won't be able to repay you, but, in quote, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. These things actually have long-term consequences. In, t in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we actually see this slightly broadened. Um, Paul writes, Command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they may lay up treasure for themselves. Sorry, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. This is the same idea, accumulating treasure in heaven. And he adds good deeds to generosity in this. So we don't actually see any other quotes in scripture that I could find that so explicitly say how we can store up treasure in heaven. But there are general principles that the good deeds actually imply. But it is quite clear that we ultimately tend to keep in the long term the treasure we give away. Radical idea. But that's the literal interpretation of these verses. And the direct corollary to this is that we have to live relatively simply. Because the reality is that the more stuff you have, the more energy, time, finances and that you need you spend maintaining it. So to be generous, we are to live relatively simply. These are all relative terms, I admit, between one culture and another. But that's a natural corollary to this. Lest someone feel, though, that I have very little financial resources. I can't give much. Therefore, I can't store up much in heaven. Let me note that Jesus is not talking in absolute terms here. He's talking about the heart, but he also talks relatively. And if you want a, a uh, verification of that, look at the widow's mite. She gave one small coin. But God saw her giving more than the abundance, absolute terms, that the rich person gave. So God looks at relative and he looks at the heart. So don't be discouraged if you don't have a whole lot to give. You can't create much investment in heaven. You can. 
by both generosity and by lifestyle. And that's the second half of this strategy. Clearly, we are uh, encouraged to live in a, in a way to manifest the reality of our new life in Christ. We are, even if you just take the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see lots of things we are instructed to do. And they all come with some long-term consequence. We are to be humble. We are to show mercy. We are to make peace. We are to resist anger. We are to practice forgiveness. Four of those five are from chapter five in Matthew. The other one's from chapter six. But we are to actually honor God with all of our resources, not just our finances. So selling our goods and giving to the poor or giving to the poor is just part of it. We are to be generous with our time. We are to be generous and care for others with our talents and our spiritual gifts. This is a whole of life issue, is stewardship. Um, in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. This won't surprise you particularly. He's not very kind to them. But we need to be careful because he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He basically takes tithing as given. He doesn't give a whole lot of credit for that, but he says that's not where it ends. You should do much more than that. Unless we think this is a New Testament idea that Jesus brings along to change things up, it's actually almost exactly the same words you'll find in Micah 6, verse 8, where Micah says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Both quotes include mercy. Both quotes include justice, fairness, the way we live with one another. And if you want, there's another, the, another passage in the Old Testament you could look up. I'm not going to take the time to read it. But Isaiah 58, where Isaiah is actually looking at um, true and false worship, fake and true fasting. This is actually a, a passage very dear to my heart because it is partly why we, Meryl and I, I quit a permanent job in Canberra and packed up and took our three little kids to live in Bangladesh when they were six, four and two. It was a part of our response to this call on our life to actually try and make a difference. We, uh, he's talking about people who actually lived the formality of sackcloth and ashes and fasting, but actually uh, then wonders why God will not answer their call when they cry out to him. And I am going to read a part of it. Sorry, for, because 
these people ask why, and Jesus or God's answer is, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. So it's, it's not just New Testament. Um, though I suspect the listeners of the Sermon Mount thought it was fairly radical and fairly new. There's a, one last verse I wanted to share. was 1 Timothy 6. And it's from that it says, to be, we are commanded to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future. So Paul's writing the same thing too. So it's woven right through the scripture record. But then in conclusion, let me turn back to the heart of the matter. Our heart. Our core being our life priorities. These, this two-part way of storing up treasure is really not something we can do in our own strength in a consistent, sustained way. It is a matter of our heart. And it is a matter of our heart being surrendered. Yes, we are to surrender, but we actually need God's help to live this way through the Holy Spirit. We need his help to develop and to maintain and sustain a heart which is focused on the kingdom of God and not on our own comfort and well-being. It's focused on God and it's focused on others. Because if you recall, when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, it was simply to love God with everything we have and to love others. And I take from that, in a sense, we were made to love. That's an old different topic again. But in conclusion, I just want to invite us as we transition from this into communion also. The last thing I wanted to refer to was simply a heart check that we might just take time out and reflect on. Um, Am I using the gifts I've been given to honour God and serve others? My money, my time, my talents? Am I a good steward or do I need to make some changes? What do I treasure? And where is my treasure? And how fully am I surrendered to God? The ultimate key to good stewardship and storing up treasure in heaven is having a heart surrendered to God and focused on the kingdom of God rather than on the things of this world. Amen. Friends, hopefully it's giving you a little bit of space to think about that. We are going to transition into our time around uh, the Lord's table. Because I'm going to take us, and we've been on a journey recently looking at Joshua and remember the people preparing to go into the promised land and then getting in the promised land and actually having the Passover there. And I I just wanted to remind us from um, a little bit of that time what happens. Because the Lord, Lord had actually provided everything for them. 
they went in and they were to take what was there and the Lord was providing through the vineyards and everything else that was there, he was providing for them. Then they had to be stewards of that, didn't they? And so when uh, you look at numbers, it reminds us here what they are to do. I'll just read a couple of verses from Numbers 15 for you. Um, Getting to the end of the chapter, verse 17, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land of which I am uh, taking you, and you eat the food of the land, present a portion as an offering to the Lord. Present a cake from the first of your ground mill, and present it as an offering from the threshing floor. Throughout the generations to come, you are to give this offering to the Lord from the first of your ground mill. There's a principle there. Did you see it? The first of, kind of the first fruits were to be offered to the Lord. And uh, we've just been examining our own heart, I suppose, and what we give. And I want to encourage you just to take a moment of praying before the Lord if there are things that you want to speak to Him about, how you've been administering or steward, uh, stewarding those things, and uh, what kind of first fruits you may have been giving to Him or not giving to Him. So please take a moment by yourself. Uh, reflect on that, speak to him in prayer as individual time of silence and maybe confession. Friends, I will remind you also as you pray as individuals to the Lord, we come before him as a community. And do you know that uh, we can intentionally sin as a community? You've probably known that and seen that. But do you know unintentionally we can do things as well? And in chapter 15 of Um, numbers it encourages them there if there's unintentional sin and things that you haven't been aware of or then come uh, to your attention that we need to confess those things before the Lord as well Um, and so I'm going to encourage us in a corporate prayer and encourage us to say these words together Um, just can I click on the next one or you got that Meg for us And this prayer comes from a long time ago. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer. But I would encourage you just to read through those words as as they're up there. But I'm going to ask us to pray them in a moment as we come before our Heavenly Father. Together, if this is something you want to pray, Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have broken your holy laws and have left undone what we ought to have done. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You want to say amen to that? Amen. It says here in Numbers, it says the priest is to take uh, atonement for the whole Israelite community and they will be forgiven. For it was not intentional that they had, uh, intentionally that they had brought to the Lord for their wrong and offering made by fire, a sin offering. The whole Israelite community and its aliens living among them will be forgiven because all the people were involved in the unintentional wrong. It's good news to know that we will be forgiven when we come before the Lord, isn't it? And we can celebrate and thank 
God for that. Over in the New Testament, uh, to finish off and assure you and remind you of that, in 1 Peter 2, and the ladies were looking at, uh, at the convention, we're looking at Peter. 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 24, reminds us of this. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And friends, if we've confessed those sins in the trueness of our heart, we can uh, be reminded of his forgiveness and we can come together around this table. If that's something you want to celebrate, I'm going to invite our stewards who are uh, offering the gifts this morning to come forward. And I'm going to invite you, when you're ready, to come forward and take the bread and the juice. Uh, There is gluten-free option there. And if you can't have the juice, there's uh, another option there for you too. But come forward. Now this is time uh, to gather around the Lord's table. If you want to be reminded of his goodness to us and his forgiveness in Jesus. Hold them together and we'll take them as a community when everyone has those elements. As we are reminded that Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to his friends. And he said, take and eat. Uh, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took uh, the juice as well. And he took the wine and he took the cup and said, drink from this, all of you. Uh, This is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. So friends, if uh, those are gathering with us online as well, hopefully you have opportunity to join us right now, remembering our good Lord and his death, and take this in remembrance of him. And drink this, friends, remembering his blood is shed for you. Uh, friends, those, those cups will be collected in our last song as we sing and uh, get excited about the forgiveness we have in Jesus and being reminded of that. We're going to sing a blessing upon one another, and this is going to be our opportunity to give. You might notice we haven't done our stewardship thing. Uh, if you give through the offering at the front, um, I encourage you to do that during this song. And if you give electronically, I encourage you to continue to be generous and consider that again. But let's stand together and sing this blessing upon one another to finish. Amen. The Lord bless you and he keep you. Let his face shine upon you. God bless you.